Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Before I launch into my sermon, I just wanted to say how grateful I am to be with you this morning. What a joy and a delight it is to be here. Um, I have been actually to St. Mary's on a few occasions. We had our Catoctin Association meeting here. And so um, I've got to work with your fantastic tech staff before, and I'm grateful to them. And of course, as I look around, there are lots of friends that I see at regular conference or association meetings, like Steve, who's on Committee on Ministry, Doug, who is the chair of the board of directors for Central Atlantic Conference, and, and so many of others of you who I've had a great opportunities to work with and to see. So it's a wonderful joy to be here. Um, I grew up in um, Abbottstown, Pennsylvania. Yeah, familiar? Good. So I grew up going to like the Hampstead Carnival because my grandfather's family was from South Hanover and my grandmother's family, this is all on my dad's side, um, was from right at the Maryland line, uh, Smith Station right on the Maryland line. So I have great, great grandparents that are lepos. And so when I came up to your altar and saw lepos on the window, I thought, ooh, I might be among some people here that I've forgotten about. Um, so it's just, I'm just so grateful to be here and be with you. When I was a kid, and this is really going to date myself because I'm a little old, like older than dirt, but um, there used to be a restaurant here in Westminster that was a buffet, and you're probably like, well, there's a lot of those. Um, but they had a particular, and I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me, but they would, what, what? Maybe it was horn and horn. They would do a seafood night. No, it wasn't Cactus Willies, because that that's 80s, 90s. I remember that. This is 70s, 80s. And they would do seafood night. And we would, my grandmother was big for the buffet, because she grew up in the Depression, and there was never enough food. So the idea of a buffet where food was everywhere was heaven on earth to her. And we would go to Westminster and um, go to the seafood buffet. Now, I could not have told you exactly where it was. It might be Horn and Horn. That sounds very familiar to me. But, um, but when I think of Westminster, I often think of, of, in my childhood, of the seafood. Just like when I think of Hampstead, I think of the carnival. Um, so any, in any case, seafood or no seafood, it's good to be here this morning. So thank you for allowing me to be with you. And I will say this, I certainly didn't um, allow Sam to be in the pew. I encourage Sam to be in the pew because it's been a long Lent and it's been a hard Lent. And therefore, I come to today knowing that your community has walked a difficult journey, losing people in your community, losing people in, that are a part of this congregation. And so I come to this place um, very mindful that Lent and Easter hold a very special meaning for you. Let's, uh, um, I just want to say also, if you're not familiar with me and what I do at the conference, I am the associate conference minister who supports Catoctin and Shenandoah associations. 
and I am also do leadership development for the entirety of the conference. So that means committees on ministry, it means um, boundary training, it means um, any kind of, of training that happens on an individual level as far as individual development. Having said that, my colleague, Craig Peterson, who just joined our conference um, staff in November of, of 22, and I have been working fairly hard to come together. We are gonna be doing a lunch and learn in May on a conflict. If you were like, boy, I think I could take an hour and listen to us talk about that as well as some what, what we call like a, a riff on the leaders, leadership box or the leaders box that they used to have years ago where um, people who are treasurers or people who are consistory presidents or that sort of thing can come together and learn about how to do their job better or more efficiently. So keep your eye out if you're not a, um, already if you're not already on the mailing list for the association and conference newsletters that come through the email, by all means let me know, I'm happy to add you. In any case, let us move into my sermon for this morning. Will you join me in prayer as we do that? Holy and most gracious of God, we pray that, that in our time together we might draw closer to you that in our thoughts and in our innermost beings, we might be seeking you, wanting to please you, and wanting to make sure that in everything we do, we reflect your love. I ask that you bless my words this morning. I ask that the words have meaning and be important and, and glorifying to your name. And I ask, Lord, that you always keep us ever mindful that we are connected soul to soul because we come as your children to this moment. Amen. My grandfather was a welder. And although he died of brain and esophageal cancer when I was eight years old, I have very, very vivid memories of him. He owned a small farmette of about 15 acres where he raised beef cattle. He grew corn for shelling and feeding to the steers. And he had rabbits, Siamese cats, and a perpetually grumpy dog named Poochie. You can laugh at that. In his workshop, as he called it, he would weld and tinker and fix all sorts of things. And I remember the last spring before he passed. He and my father worked on a special project for my sister and I. And we would, it was a little, basically about the size of a large shed. And it was cement block with its little tin roof. And my sisters and I would um, kind of creep up to the door to try to figure out what they were working on, only to have a shower of sparks come out like an arc, which would send us running far, far away from the entrance of the building. Finally, after much, much anticipation, the project was revealed. It was a metal pole welded to a tire and with a small loop at the top. Who thinks they know what this is? Okay. Well, I can tell you, I had no idea what it was. My sister had no idea what it was. But soon my father produced a ball and a rope, 
and suddenly we understood it was a tetherball pole that you could roll from different parts to the of the, the yard. My father was quite proud of it, as was my grandfather. He had taught my father to weld a long time before this, but their best days were the ones in which they worked together. And his, his death at age 65 was an inconsolable loss for my father, a loss that truly tested his faith. Now, I can't weld. My best effort was maybe some soldering in shop class a millennium ago. And yet you learn a bit by osmosis about metal when the men in your life use metal to fix their problems. You pick up the differences between hardness and weight, melting points and in impact strength. You learn that when you're evaluating the strength of a metal, you discuss four qualities. Tensile strength, compressive strength, yield strength, and impact strength. And as I was reflecting on First Peter for this morning, my grandfather and his welding arose from the recesses of my brain. And in a minute, I'll tell you why. I was drawn to First Peter this morning for this morning's um, sermon text for a number of reasons. It might have been easier to pick from this week's to pick up um, last week's text on John, because that's really where this morning's gospel lesson is from. Jesus um, has already been revealed to the women, and they're going to go back and tell the disciples to go on to Galilee. Then Jesus shows up, and there's Doubting Thomas. I mean, we've been there, haven't we? We know this story. And I thought, well, that would have been easy. I probably could have even pulled an old sermon out and resurrected it a bit. That was supposed to be funny, resurrected. All right, it fell flat. But I think that's a familiar story. I think we know plenty of doubting Thomases. I think we have already had that sermon. First Peter had some beautiful themes and some theology that I think many of you would find comforting, even if its treatment of the Old Testament is a bit self-serving. The book's audience is the church in Asia Minor, it's Nero's reign of Rome, and, and Nero has been prosecuting Christians. In fact, it's all the rage to do so. Commentaries devote pages and pages and pages of argument about who actually wrote the book. But its theme of suffering and understanding of justice is very, very clear. And if you want to claim yourself as a Christian, suffering, Peter says, is going to be your companion. And there's a fair chance that death may come at the hands of the empire, which has labeled Christians as the enemies of state. But in the least, we know whether or not you get persecuted by the empire. As a Christian in that time period, around the first century, you know you're going to be mocked and you're going to be libeled. You're going to end up probably separated from your family because their beliefs and their community's beliefs are different from yours, and different is dangerous. Nero's persecution had, had begun much earlier in Rome, and therefore, by the time it had reached Asia Minor, if you were somebody who was familiar with what was happening elsewhere in the empire, you knew what was coming, and you knew what was to come. 
Peter talks about this time of persecution and trial as defining. And I don't think we need to have been thrown into a lion's den to understand the ways in which suffering changes and defines us. But Peter goes a step further. Peter claims that this suffering refines us. That suffering is necessary so that we might have a stronger faith. That if we suffer, we're going to come out purer than when we started and the time before everything had gone south in our lives. Now, this idea of refining fire is nothing new. We find it in the Psalms. We find it in the prophets. But I'm not here today to forward a theology that says suffering sharpens the faith that you have. And I think that's because I have seen more than a few good people broken by the circumstances of their life. Yeah? And I'm really not willing to pin that kind of pain on bad faith. If we want to talk about what hardens us to this world, we talk about endurance and where we find hope. And if we want to talk about the hardness of metals and what they are like after being refined by fire, we talk about impurities that get discarded by heat. But if we want strength with flexibility, we talk about alloys. Strength in metals is rarely about one type of solid metal. I mean, it can be, but oftentimes all of the things that you want don't just end up neatly packaged in one kind of metal. It comes from combining metals together to form an alloy so that the properties of one support the assets of the other. And together they outperform better than any other could, than any of one of them could have separately. And we, as people of God, are the same. We come together as a community who believes that Jesus was the Son of God, a Messiah in the flesh, who died upon a cross and triumphed over death by resurrecting three days later. And while we stake our faith on that resurrecting moment, it was what Christ asked of his believers before and after that sets us apart. Seek out the outcast. Stand with the oppressed. Learn how to take those rules that you've been living under and live into them so that we might all have equity and not so that some would have most. Love one another. Treat your neighbor like you would want to be treated. And as Peter reminds us, just as Jesus reminded Thomas, believe not because you had a ringside seat to the whole scenario as it unfolded, but just because you heard and you believed. We are Easter people, and Easter people know this. Living hope is a hope that gives life. Now, suffering is all around us. Oppression is all around us. Crises of faith are all around us. And on many occasions, the suffering that befalls our neighbor is one we simply cannot fix. That fire that's bearing down on them is white hot. But you, all of you in this community, are an alloy. Your melting point is high 
because you are together as one. You aren't afraid of what the heat will be bringing. And I don't suppose that every faith crisis brought on by suffering can be turned into a refined moment and a faith stronger and more resilient. Simply because you had a meal train put together or you helped with the harvest or the feeding or the planting. But on the other side of suffering is mutual care that brings new birth. New friendships where at first there were only acquaintances. New understandings of how we show up for one another. New representations of what looks, love looks like even in the worst of times. Perhaps even the new knowledge that in this world, a life means your life, the life of your loved one, the life of your neighbor, means something to someone else. And if you have ever been trying to walk someone through a crisis and they think nobody cares about them, showing up makes an incredibly important impact on their life. New birth, new hope. You all in this moment, in this space, as a community of faith, are faith alloys. And together you walk in the newness of life. Not like some Pollyanna believer, but stronger and wiser and welded together by the action of the faith that you, you choose. I know what I've said this morning might sound a little foolish to people who don't believe. My words might be platitudes or mere comfort, and that might be so. But I pray that for those who do believe, they might come to understand the power of what it means to be part of a community. That they might not be as many as there were 40 or 30 or even 10 years ago. But here's what I'm praying for. That even though our numbers may not be as large, that we might be able to look at one another and see the strength that lies in this community of faith at St. Mary's. And it is a strength of community that can enact monumental change and seed deep faith. Peter injects all of his talk of suffering with abundant hope that despite suffering befalling his fellow Christians and even himself, because Peter ends up martyred in Rome, that they should be joyful. Joyful the heaven that is going to be awaiting us. Joyful for the Savior that calls us like sheep. Joyful for the knowledge that even on our worst day, on our worst day, we are fully loved. I thank you for allowing me to worship with you today, and I leave you with this salutation. Let grace and shalom abound. Our first century Christian siblings greeted each other this way, and when we speak of, speak of peace, the word would be shalom. We oftentimes um, say it with a, with a sense of familiarity that doesn't really talk to us about what it means to have shalom. Shalom is harmony. Shalom is peace. But shalom is wholeness. And it feels like sometimes an unattainable concept. So as we head out this morning into the mission field, which is outside the doors of this church, let us set our sights 
on creating wholeness in the face of brokenness, in the face of crisis, in the face of challenge. Wholeness for ourselves, wholeness for one another, wholeness for people that do not belong to this church but need it just so much more than we ever imagine. And lastly, friends, let us have joy. Joy in the face of trial. Joy in the face of being kind to somebody who is not being kind to you. Joy in knowing and believing that you are a beloved child of God and that Christ would leave 99 to go find you and bring you back. So let us set our sights together on creating wholeness in the face of brokenness, joy in the face of trial, and know that together we are stronger than steel. Amen.